This is Marty Stevens filling in for Low Tide today on the Low Down. Of course, mentioned right there, sponsored by Wolf GMC Buick. Hurry in for GMC's Joy to the Ride event. No payments for 90 days on every new in-stock 2023 GMC and Buick. Ask for details. Plus, you can get up to $4,000 in cash. That is at Wolf GMC Buick. We're going to be uh, getting bag milk on the line right away from uh, Oilers Nation. Talk about the game tonight. And uh, something we're going to do tomorrow, so why don't you put your thinking caps on. We want to talk about the biggest sporting moments of 2023. So we'll do that over the text line. Brad and I'll come up with some lists. But, uh, yeah, if you uh, put your thinking cap on over uh, tonight and uh, help us out with that tomorrow, that should be a lot of fun. A lot went on in the year, like just right here in this market. And uh, that's not counting everybody. So right now we are going to go to the man himself. The only instructions I got from Low Tide is I have to call this man Mr. Bag Milk. Mr. Bag Milk, thank you. Welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome. Hello. I'm here. <laughs> Excellent. You are here. How was the Christmas break for you? It was good. It was quick. It kind of flew by in a hurry, but uh, I'm ready for the boys to get back in action today, watch a little hockey, and see how the back end of the season goes. Yeah, they're, they're usually on fire here in the last half of the year, so we hope that uh, tradition keeps up. But a late one. We got, they're going to keep us waiting 8.30 tonight in San Jose. Yeah, it's the problem with the Pacific Division, uh, or I guess the California road trip. It's always the late one. 8.30 is a slog, but <laughs> here's hoping we're celebrating a win. Otherwise, uh, it's, it's tough going to bed after a loss to the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, exactly right. I know who you, what you mean by that. And what do, you, what do you think about this road trip? Three games. What do you make of it? Huge games. I mean, no matter how you look at it, I think that these are all big games that, you. I mean, you got to at least win two of three. Um, I'm fascinated to see how this first matchup of the season against the Kings goes mm-hmm. on Saturday night. Um, but ultimately, these are three big games that the Oilers need to try and win all three. Because right now, if I'm not mistaken, I'm doing this off my head, they're, what, seven points back of the wild card? I know they've got some games in hand, but they've got to make sure they're using those games at hand to collect wins or else they don't really mean anything. So I see this as a huge, huge, huge road trip. There's, I mean, three Pacific Division opponents. Two of them aren't so great, so you've got to hopefully get wins there. And then if you can win in L.A. on Saturday night, hopefully in regulation, if I'm being greedy, then yeah. that's, that's the way. But, yeah, huge road trip for the Oilers coming back from the break. Yeah, I was looking at the standings the other day. The Oilers are getting hosed by that overtime point again. Like, it seems like Calgary has all these overtime points. It's unbelievable. I think we have one, and that's it. Yeah, well, and that's the problem with, you know, there's a lot of time till there's not a lot of time, right? And when you got the Bettman loser point mixed in there, climbing back in the standings from the hole that the Oilers were in is going to prove to be incredibly difficult. So they got to go on a run here. Yeah. And it's nice that they went into the Christmas break winning those back-to-backs against New Jersey and New York. That was really, really nice. But ultimately, we're still talking about a team who's at 500 right now. So the only thing they can do is really string together some wins and try and do it regulation. But yeah, with the Bettman point in there, it's going to be really, really tough. So we'll see how this how this goes. Yeah, and the one team they don't have any games in hand in is actually L.A. I think L.A.'s played one less game than the Oilers. Well, no, they're probably tied now because L.A. played last night. So uh, other than that, we have, do have games in hand on everyone else in the division. Yeah, looking at it, you're absolutely right. Both played 31 games, including L.A. last night. So they're, they're going to be a really big challenge for the Oilers. And um, I, I hope, my biggest hope is that they don't look past the Sharks to yeah. L.A. on Saturday. I mean, San Jose lost again last night. They've lost six in a row. This is a beatable team, one that the Oilers should beat. But as you know, and they lost earlier in the season. They lost in early November to the Sharks. So nothing is given in this league. I just... 
I just really hope that they can grind one out. What do you think of this second line with McLeod? I've kind of been on McLeod all year. He hasn't, or for a year and a half, actually. I didn't think he's done anything. And now looks like, I don't know if it was his parents or Dreisaitl. Something got him going. I, you know what? The more I look at it, the more I like him on the wing. You know, I, I think obviously moving him to the wing creates another hole down at 3C. But I think that just like Nugent Hopkins, moving him over to the wing is, is creating some opportunities for him. He doesn't have as many uh, defensive responsibilities when he's there. Leon can He can go get pucks for Leon Drysaddle. He's got all the wheels. And if he can keep this finishing going that he's had for the last little bit, then that could be a really effective line because ultimately, and we all know it, they need to find something that works on that second line because you don't want to split up the first line. It's one of the best in hockey right now. Mm-hmm. So they kind of have to figure out a way to make Leon's line work regardless of who's there. And so far, Ryan McLeod on that left side has looked pretty good. Well, there's lots of speed on that line with Fogel too. McLeod and Fogel both have wheels, and I think that helps dry settle move his feet. When he has guys on his line that aren't moving, he doesn't move. 100%. And there's also two guys that, like you said, they have wheels, but they can also get him the puck back. So puck retrieval, getting it back on Leon Sticks, that's going to be really, really important for that trio. They did it well against New York on the Friday night, and we'll see if they can do it again. This is not uh, the New York Rangers they're facing tonight, but ultimately you want to see that line still run the possession numbers, still score some goals. You want to see them outscore, outshoot, all that stuff. So another opportunity to show what they can do tonight, and I'm looking forward to it. You're listening to Low Town with Low Tide on Sports 1440, joined by Bag Milk now from Oilers Nation. Now, we know Dylan Holloway is on this trip. We know he's not going to play tonight, but have you heard anything else about his health and when we might see him back in the lineup? And where would you slot him in and who would you take out? That is a fascinating question. <laughs> so when is he going to come back? I don't know. I, I feel for the kid, right? Because the last two years have kind of been at least portions or large portions of the season derailed by injuries. Yeah, and you, so were, just you, mentioning, and, sorry, you were just mentioning speed too, and, and he's one of the fastest Oilers too. Sorry to cut you off there. 100%. Yeah, he is. So like we're talking about where does he go? That's a great question. I think ultimately Knobloch is going to start him lower in the lineup just while he gets his feet back, you know, back, back under him. But would it be so weird to see him take one of those positions along Leon at, when he's back up and running, whether it's McLeod or Fogel? I, I don't know, but it feels like if you're going to use Dylan Holloway, you got to put him in a defensive, an offensive role, I should say. And unfortunately, sometimes you're going to have to accept the mistakes that come along with a young player being, uh, playing big minutes. But I think he'll probably start lower in the lineup, probably on the third line. That's where he always seems to kind of park himself, at least when he's playing. So that's where I guess he slots back in. But ultimately, I'd like to see him elevated a little bit. I'd love to see him alongside Leon, either the left or the right wing, probably the left to make it a little bit easier for him. But I think that's the spot I'd like to see him in. It's just a matter of whether or not he can handle that challenge. Yeah, and I think Ernie would probably be the guy coming out, even though he's played pretty well lately. Had a beautiful goal a couple games ago. But yeah, I think I think that dry set of line, you just look at there's no those guys aren't natural finishers. I don't know if Holloway is or not, the you know, the book on him that he is, but uh, he hasn't really proven that yet in the NHL, but it would be great to see him there. Yeah, 100%. It's always one of those things where it's like, oh, it's nice to score on the junior levels, but what have you done for me lately? And I know that's a cold way to kind of look at it, but it's pro sports, baby. you got to get some goals. you got to get some points up on the board. And um, if he's going to be an offensive player for this team, then he's definitely going to have to contribute in that way. Yeah, and, and, and maybe uh, he hasn't played for this new coach, so maybe this is something the new coach can uh, can get out of him as well and maybe trust him a little more up there further in the lineup. 
Maybe. You never know, right? Because it's a clean slate for Dylan Holloway as well. Uh, Coach Nobby hasn't seen any of the mistakes that have kind of come in the past. He's going to see a young player with all kinds of skill, and we'll see where he uses them. But I think most importantly for Dylan, Hall, uh, Dylan Holloway, especially given the injuries he's had over the last couple of seasons, is just make sure he's actually healthy. Yeah. Make sure he's actually ready to go. Uh, I, I think that moving him in before he's at 100% or close to would be a mistake at this stage. So I just hope they're patient with him. Don't, don't try and force him in there. Well, and speaking of injuries, Gagne didn't even go on the road trip. So he uh, maybe lost some teeth, not sure. And he had that jaw injury a few years ago, so I'm not sure if uh, he's had some setbacks there as well with that injury. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, like, I'd love to see uh, Sam Gagne get back in the lineup. Obviously, he's given the Oilers huge points in the bottom six role for next to nothing in terms of the contract. So he's really providing some nice value for them right now. And it's it's been fun to watch. But ultimately, I hope that Sammy's healthy and he can – yeah, that'll be a good one. And uh, he, you're right, he's a great value contract. And I think he's a bit of a spark on the team, too. Uh, I think he's a leader. He gets so excited when he scores a goal. So it'd be great to have him back in the lineup soon. What about Kane? He's playing his old team. He always seems to have a little fire in his belly when he plays against the Sharks. Ended on bad terms there. Uh, is this a game where we see him get going again? I hope so. But I think he, I think he's another guy. Don't you think he's a little bit banged up when you watch him? You yeah. Know, like he looks like he's not quite at a hundred percent. So I'm hoping that he can kind of get back up there and get going and get wheeling again. But you know, maybe some revenge game. You love to see a guy go up against his old team. So I'm hoping Kane can give you that for him as well. Yeah. And I noticed he missed some practice time too, Kane. So he has obviously been banged up, Brad. Yeah. Bag milk yeah. Uh, down in the minors right now. We know Philip Roberg's down there. He, I guess, you know, they're they're terrible at keeping track of their ice time, as you probably know on the stats websites. Uh, from word of mouth, the guy's playing more than any other player right now and deserves to be on an NHL team. How do you see the Oilers resolving this issue with him? Because even that, I don't know if you saw that pass before the Christmas break there. He had that pass in overtime, set up the winner. That was a beautiful pass. The offensive skill is there. The confidence needs to be there. How can this get resolved, and can he be an Oiler? Yeah, I think he can. I mean, he's really only one injury away from getting up with the big lineup. So you just want to see him playing minutes. And he wasn't doing that up with the Oilers. So I think that it's important that he's playing big minutes down in Bakersfield. And we'll see where he ends up. Did you guys see the big save he made? He made like a glove knee save the other day. I'm not sure where he caught it on his body, but beautiful save down on one knee. He's all over the ice down there. Well, it's good to see, right? Because he's got to play. Mm-hmm. That's the thing with him is he's got to play. Doing Sitting around doing nothing or being a healthy scratch or only playing a handful of minutes a night is not helping him right now. And I, I think that I still think that trading him would be a mistake given where they have, given the skill on their depth chart. But he ultimately, like I said, he just needs to play. And right now he's doing that. And this is the contact sport. It's only going to be a matter of time before somebody gets banged up. So I think he's going to get recalled sooner than later whether out of necessity or just because he's earned it. And I think that's a good thing for the Oilers. But most likely, or most importantly right now, is he's actually getting some minutes. Yeah, I think Gregor had an article up there in Oilers Nation. He hasn't really played much. We talked to the head coach down there in Bakersfield. He has not played much in the last three years between getting called up and back down and up and down. And yeah, so he just needs to get some games under his belt. Moving in the second half here for the Oilers, what, uh, and just past Christmas, but what would you like to see under the old Christmas tree for the Oilers here in the second half? Consistency. Yeah consistency like it's wild with this team how sometimes they can look like a world beater and then other times they just look awful you know so i think like 
consistency. That's the most important thing to me, and that goes from the crease outward. I'd like to see some more consistency in the lineup. I'd like to see more consistency in their day-to-day. I'd like to see it more in their game-to-game. And I think that if Santa was bringing us a late gift, that would be what I would ask for, and I would ask for it all over the map. And then if I'm being greedy, which I am, maybe a little bit more depth score. We've seen it over the last couple of games where some guys lower in the lineup are chipping in with some offense, and they're and it's helping in a big way. It can't always be the top six players or McDavid and Drysdale. We know that. So consistency and depth scoring that would be my ask. There you go, perfect. And of course, this is the big game. This is the the game kind of where Todd or not Todd McClellan, he's the LA coach, but Jay Woodcroft got fired after the loss. He played one more, he coached one more game, but this is kind of the game that put the nail in the coffin for him. And also Jason Greger, this is why he's uh, growing the ponytail. There's a there's a game tonight. Gregor's on holidays, but what kind of bet should Gregor making tonight against this Oilers uh, San Jose team? Should we talking tattoos or what do you got? What do you think he should be doing now? Well, you know, because I know how he hates this look right now. I think we need to extend it right through into the playoffs. I'd like to see him go full ally Freddy. I want to see that skull explode. <laughs> Dog the bounty hunter. Him. Exactly. I want to move past the Costanza that he's going with right now, and I want to see it really flow out the back. Mr. Feeney, he's got, he's got going now. Mr. Feeney's more of a, you know, Mr. Feeney. Remember the old uh, Boy Meets World? Yeah, yeah, I do. Absolutely. That's a great call by you. Um, so, like, when he's got the window open and the whip, I want to see the hair flowing. <laughs> it's blowing, you know? All right, yeah, so he's got to make some kind of bet tonight. But if he wins, then I don't want him to shave that thing off. So we got to – I don't know how we're going to have to negotiate this a little bit. But yeah, I was thinking a mustache. But, yeah, you're right. Just let it go right to the playoffs and uh, see what happens. Right to the playoffs. And it could be – you know what? It could be a new era for him, a new look, a new vibe, a new feel, and I think he'll love it. I think he really, really will. <laughs> yeah, kind of like the Fabio. He'll be the Fabio of afternoon sports radio in Edmonton. Exactly. We all need one. We, it's the hero <laughs> we didn't know we needed. Exactly right. So the latest episode I checked out last night, Better Late Than Never podcast on Spotify, Apple, all the sources. I love it. Great episode last night. Now, your Christmas present, I laughed at it because it's a great song, Spider-Man soundtrack. Is there, is there anything else coming yeah. up this week with the podcast that uh, we can talk about or next week? Yeah, you know what? Better late than never. New episodes always come out on Wednesdays. Thank you for giving me the plug. It's just a fun podcast to do. So this week, I'm probably going to, if I can sneak it in or if I can get your Remchuk out of bed, I'm going to try and get it to a Oilers year in review. I'd love to have that before the 31st. But if not this week, we'll do that next week. And then I'm always around just because I've got the studio in my house that if there's something that's fun that happens, I'll jump in with an emergency episode and just knock out a quick 10, 15-minute reaction. So that's the fun part about that podcast. It's a little bit weird and a little bit odd but ultimately it's fun to make and um, we'll see where it heads as the next year kind of kind of approaches excellent and a nice humble brag there yeah i got a studio in my house into the podcast so nice work mr bag milk thanks for joining us here on low tide with without low tide we appreciate it well if i can't brag to you guys who can i brag to <laughs> that is true have a great rest of the the christmas new year season and uh yeah you'll be back on the air uh, next year i guess with low tide looking forward to it thanks boys uh, all right thank you all right, that was Bag Milk from Oilers Nation. You can find all the stuff there, the podcast, the articles, everything is up there, and we're going to take a break. And this, as promised, we've got it lined up. We've got Dan Rosanowski coming up from the San Jose play-by-plays, and we'll talk to him right after the break. This is Lowdown with Low Tide with Marty Stevens and Brad Slater.
It's Marty Stevens filling in for Low Tide today with Brad Slater. We're doing our best here. I don't even know what time it is. Oh, just over a half hour to go here. And we're finally joined. We've been promising all day. He moved some stuff around for us. So we really appreciate that. San Jose coach must have been talking long in the press conference. But let's go right now to the play-by-play voice of San Jose Shark. He's an award winner. He's an author. And he's on the Sharks Audio Network. Dan Rosanowski, thanks for joining us today. Gentlemen, it's uh, great to be with you this morning. Another great day for hockey. It is indeed, and you had a game last night in L.A. Yes, and it was quite an interesting one. The Sharks were actually pretty good against the Los Angeles Kings for a portion of that game, but one or two little things went against them, and they sagged, and their best player in the second half of the game was Kapo Kakin and the goaltender. So uh, I suppose that's not the ideal way you want to play against a team that has such a low goals against the average total, but... Unfortunately, the Sharks had to come out of there with only one goal for, and they ended up with five goals against. So uh, a tough one. They're going to have to just bounce right back, and probably just as well to get back onto the ice uh, right away after that. Yeah, what's happening with the goaltender situation down there? Well, Koppel Kakinen's been playing quite well, and actually goaltending has not been a problem. Even though you look at the goals against averages and you look at the save percentages, uh, a big change really from last season. Uh, Koppel is playing much better than he did last year. And Mackenzie Blackwood has been a nice add to this team. He's got a a good future ahead of him, too. So I think the Sharks feel like that they're better at that position, even though they're not necessarily being, uh, shall we say, lauded for it in the actual stat totals. But uh, still, you look at the number of uh, high-danger shots that Mackenzie Blackwood is getting and the types of saves he's making, and the same thing with Capo Kakin. And you have to see that the goaltending has definitely improved but again, uh, you know, that, that only gets you so far. You've got to have a little help from the defense in front of you and, uh, you know, the, the way that the schedule works out for you. Well, the Oilers know all about Blackwood with 39 saves last game. That was, of course, the last uh, loss that uh, the head coach did. Jay Woodcroft coached uh, against the Oilers. But I believe he's under the weather, is he? Indeed he is. Uh, in fact, it was interesting yesterday for the morning skate uh, we were just trying to figure out who was going to be in goal, and two guys come out, and Akapo Kakinen goes right to the, the net that, that the Sharks are going to be defending for two periods, and he starts to look like he's going to be the starting goalie. And I wasn't even paying attention to uh, the guy wearing what looked like Blackwood's equipment. And then I looked over there, and I said, he's too short to be Mackenzie Blackwood. What the heck's going on? Has Mackenzie just gotten smaller? Well, no, <laughs> that didn't happen. Uh, he didn't lose his confidence that much where he got to. He lost six inches. No, it was Thomas Spear. The goalie coach who actually put the equipment on to take part in practice, so the guys had two goalies to work with, and uh, we found out later that McKenzie wasn't feeling well under the weather, and that continues tonight. So, interesting note about tonight's game, Magnus Krona is going to get his first National Hockey League start. Uh, He played in one game earlier this season. Uh, He won a national championship in the NCAA with the University of Denver a couple of years ago. And in his mid-20s, a little bit older than the average rookie, but then again, goalies develop a little later. He's been playing in the AHL with the San Jose Barracuda this season. And uh, as I said, he had to come in and relief one other uh, appearance when we had a problem. But uh, it's going to be an interesting one. I've seen this happen before where uh, somebody that's relatively unheralded in spite of his uh, previous NHL accomplishments comes up big. And I think the Sharks probably will be a little bit more responsible defensively, at least will be applying themselves with the thought that they want to make sure that the young kid has uh, has some support in the game. Well, it's very funny because probably when you announced that, you maybe heard, no, from up here in Edmonton because the, the story in the Oilers is they never do good. I don't know if it's true or not, but the story is they never do good against guys who've, you know, 
played their first NHL game. The Oilers usually get beat, or some guy who's never played in the league scores a goal against them. So, yeah, Oiler Nation up here just uh, drove into the ditch when you said that. Well, uh, they should probably stay on the road, but uh, no doubt about the fact that it's always interesting when it happens. And how many times have we seen it before? I remember one time Troy Grossnick played his first NHL game. It was against Carolina, and he ended up with, I think it was 45 saves, <laughs> and he got a shutout yeah. in his very first NHL start. That was kind of cool to see on the road in Carolina. And then, of course, uh, you may remember, certainly in Alberta, you'll remember uh, a playoff series between the Sharks and the Calgary Flames back in 1995 when Arthur Zerbe wasn't going all that well in the playoffs. The Sharks weren't playing that well either. And uh, Wade Flaherty got the starting assignment in Game 6. Everybody said, well, that's going to be an easy win for the Calgary Flames. And all he did was play great in that game. And then he made 56 saves in Game 7. And the Sharks ended up getting a goal from Edmund Tony and Ray Whitney in the final overtime game, double overtime in wow. against Calgary, which I know makes people in Edmonton awfully happy. So <laughs> anytime. I, I, yeah, anytime. And especially when, uh, you know, somebody from, uh, from the Edmonton area scores the game-winning goal against the Flames. So that was kind of cool back in 95, and we're still fond of that memory today. But, you know, so these things happen all the time. Everything that happens, too. And, you know, we've seen this with, with veteran goaltenders as well. I was thinking about this. Back when I was growing up, the New York Rangers were a team that, that were close by where I, where I grew up. And they had two goaltenders, Eddie Jockerman and Joe Villamere. And for whatever reason, the Rangers seemed to play more responsibly in front of Villamere. And perhaps back then it was because they took Eddie Jockerman for granted. He had been the longtime number one goalie, and Villamere was the backup. And those guys shared a visit and a trophy together back in the early 1970s. But for whatever reason, um, sometimes just the appearance of somebody different especially somebody young uh, in goal can inspire a team to be a little bit better. And then you got the other factor where Edmonton hasn't played in a while. And so you got the rust versus rest scenario. Not all that bad to fly back from Los Angeles last night. And the game is a half an hour later than, than, uh, than last night's game was. So there's a little extra time there to allow for it. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, that does occur that, you know, you have, you have all of those factors that come into the game. And, you know, the Sharks are looking at this game as if they can get off to a good start, like they did against Los Angeles last night, but finish the job. Uh, They can get a victory like they did against the Oilers back in that game that you referenced earlier this season. Dan, uh, do you see, have you heard if uh, Logan Couture is going to return to the lineup tonight? I know he's been out all season. He re-aggravated that injury back in early October. He's always been a thorn in the Oilers' side, and it'd be nice to see him not playing tonight as an Oilers fan. Well, if Oilers fans are unhappy that a goaltender is making his first NHL start against them tonight, they're going to be happy to know that Logan is not ready to play yet, but he is practicing. Um, David Quinn said this morning that there's definite light at the end of the tunnel, and that's, that's a big deal for this team. Because you look at where they are, they really miss Logan Couture, not only for his leadership, but last year you know, he approached the 70-point mark. And that's something that they desperately need offensively. So combination of those things, his responsible penalty killing, everything else that he does, uh, is really sorely missed this season. So he's not quite ready yet, but he's making great progress. And I hope it's not too long before he's ready to go. Well, speaking of leadership, Thomas Hurdle's kind of left out on an island there with the, the trades that have been made and veterans have left. How is he doing this year? Well, I can tell you that in the month of December, he leads the National Hockey League in goal scored on the road. At least he did before last night's game, and I don't think that's changed. He's got eight. And uh, he and Mikhail Granlund both have done a really good job in, in taking on that leadership role. Uh, Granlund has just done it with his steady play and nice mentorship. And 
Oki and Hurdle have worked with young guys like William Eklund to uh, help them ease their transition into the NHL. And, you know, it's not easy to develop at the National Hockey League level, as, as fans in Edmonton, I'm sure, are certainly aware of. And so uh, you need to have that steadying hand when uh, sometimes your confidence gets rattled or, or the situation that happens that you're not used to, uh, that you're normally used to you know, squashing or, or taking control of. And this is the NHL, so it's a lot harder to do that for a young player. So I, I think we've seen that, and we've seen the, uh, the, the leadership grasped by Tomas Hurdle. You know, he, he was always around when you had people like Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe and Joe Pavelski and Brent Burns around kind of alpha types inside that locker room in, in some of those cases and big personalities in other cases. And so he was always sort of that the guy in the background, but because of the situation he's in, he's actually taken a big step forward in becoming a more active leader on this team. And I think that uh, he has really blossomed into um, a really a top player in the NHL. Well, there you go. And it's all about the rebuild in San Jose. That's where they're at. How about the, how's your top rookie there doing William Eklund? I think he's doing just fine. It's as I said, it's awfully difficult to to develop at the level uh, that we're talking about, where you're expected to win every night and expected to have most of that stuff all together. But I think that he's very competitive. He's a crafty player. He has a good skating ability. He's got a nice shot. He does a lot of really good things on the ice. And the one thing that I've noticed is that uh, his competitive nature helps him along with his understanding of how the body works, to win battles against players that are bigger than he is. You know, we saw Logan Stanley and William Eklund go into the corner in a Winnipeg game, and William Eklund winning a battle with a guy that's much bigger than he is. And that's not the only time it's happened. That's just one that stands out in memory for me in recent games. So when you have a young guy being able to do that because of just the understanding of the body, the laws of physics, et cetera, but also the anticipation and also what I, you know, the intangible, that competitive nature, I think uh, that the Sharks have a nice young player. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, it's good. It is a tough league, so it's nice when those guys, young guys can come in and uh, help out. You mentioned last night you guys were in Los Angeles. It's a really unique situation in San Jose with that airport. How does it work? Run it through us. What do the Oilers have to do tonight in this airport to get in and out? Well, actually, it doesn't help them that the game is a 7.30 game if they want to get out of here tonight uh, because uh, there is a curfew. Technically, you're supposed to be in the air by 11.30. Um, if it's a 7 o'clock game, it's a lot easier to get out. You have to kind of hustle. But the good news is the airport, like the old uh, the old airport in Edmonton, five minutes from downtown. I wish those days were still <laughs> around, but uh, not any longer. Between Edmonton and Denver, it takes a long time to get from the airport to uh, uh, to where we're ending up. And uh, San Jose doesn't have that issue. It's, it's literally five, six minutes away by bus from SAP Center to where they have to jump on the plane. So. I, I suppose that if, if everything is in order, I, I can't remember if, if it's landing at 11.30 or taking off by midnight. It's something like that. So I think that, that, that the Oilers, if they want to get out of here tonight, should be able to do that um, without having to bus up to Oakland, where, which is open 24 hours. And it, uh, I'm sure they'll be able to do it if they hustle. There you go. Nice. And, and not have overtime in a 20 round shoot. Yeah, exactly. I just remember hearing stories about the dressing room. They're like, oh, we didn't get much from the dressing room tonight because, yeah, I went into overtime in a couple rounds and everyone was just packing bags and leaving because they wanted to get on that plane and out of San Jose. Such a unique situation. I think it's probably the only place in the NHL where there's a, a tight deadline and when you can get your private not, jet out of the airport. 
Not really. I suppose the other one is Anaheim, because, but nobody lands in Anaheim for that reason because it's much more restrictive than San Jose. In fact, after dusk, that is like, okay, so dusk 5 o'clock these days in the short hours. Mm-hmm. Well, um, if you take off out of John Wayne Airport, you've actually got to power down when you're flying over a certain residential area. And they let them do that, but when you have a full load of a plane like a normal NHL um, private jet with all that extra equipment and stuff, that's not exactly the safest way to do things. And, uh, you know, they have other other uh, restrictions. So most of the teams either um, – used to be we went to Ontario for Anaheim. But now with the traffic and the change in population and everything else, it's, it's actually easier to go just go back to either LAX or go to Long Beach. Uh, when you go to Anaheim, and that's what most teams probably do. They're very, very sensitive there in most country, I guess. Brad, you had a question. Yeah, Dan, uh, back in 2018, uh, I loved your book, If These Walls Could Talk. Uh, I was a huge Shark fan growing up as a kid. Um, Back in 1986, Oiler fans know of the Steve Smith infamous own goal. The goal was credited to Perry Berezan. Back in uh, 1993, I was going to school in Edmonton here, and my principal's name was Mr. Berezan. Well, I found out that 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 was his son, Perry, and he brought his son Perry to school, signed my shark stick, my hat back in 93. I was 10 years old. I was ecstatic. Do you have a Perry Barazan story? Because the guy's just so friendly, lovable, and he's just, he was just so great for the game, and he still is. I, he still is, for sure. Perry's a great guy. I love to see him. Um, usually when we're in Calgary, he's, he's around somewhere. And uh, he was a guy that, that was a really good skater. I remember him as a really good college hockey player at the University of North Dakota before he got to the NHL. And uh, so I was excited when he became a member of the Sharks. Right-handed shot, uh, could skate well, uh, did a lot, of, a lot of basic things very, very well, very responsible player, but a really good guy, great personality. And I always remember, he played in Calgary, and of course, and that was during the, uh, as I remember, the Bob Johnson years. Bob Murdoch also spent some time up that way. Yep. And there was, a, a, there was an assistant coach named Joseph Kapla. Okay. Who, uh, who came up, and I guess he, he's from either Czech, the Czech Republic or Slovakia. And he came over sort of like, on a, I don't want to say a, an exchange program, but um, he was, uh, his English was not very good at all, but somehow he was trying to communicate with the players, and they were you know, trying to figure out well, who the heck this guy Joe was. And so in the middle of all this, Joe came up with a drill. And so they, Bob Johnson called it Joe's Drill. <laughs> And uh, they, they were trying to get it right, and it was just a flow drill uh, where it required a couple of coaches to be involved. So it wasn't exactly the easiest drill to execute. But once you figured it out, it was actually kind of fun to do. And um, they tried it five, six, seven times, and Joseph Kaplan kept saying, no, you got the no, 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 no. And he, he, again, his English was extremely limited. And then finally they got it right. And he raised his stick in the air with the Calgary Flames. And, the, and then they started using Joe's drill just for fun. They made it a, a fun part of practice, um, which they got more out of by doing the drill maybe than, than the actual benefits of the drill were. Well, we're in the middle of, of uh, the Sharks' throws of expansion, and things weren't going well in the one-loss column, and they're trying to keep things up. So I said to Bob Murdoch, why don't you run Joe's drill? The only reason why I knew about it was because Nick Fatia was involved with it. Uh, and he told me about it, and I worked with Nikki a couple a couple of times in New Haven in the American Hockey League. So I just made a joke, and I said to Bob jo- uh, to uh, to Bob Murdoch, I said, "Why don't you run Joe's drill in practice?" So I'll never forget this. I'm standing. We're in Winnipeg at the old arena, as I remember, and I'm standing right along the glass. And, and Bob Murdoch calls the guys over right near where I was standing. He probably did that on purpose. 
and he starts explaining the drill to the guys. And I'll never forget this. Perry Barazan looks at me like through the glass, and he's got this look on his face like, you didn't tell him to run Joe's drill, did you? And, and uh, then Bob Murdoch said, uh, yeah, it's Joe's drill. And he looked at me and he goes, could you tell these guys about this? <laughs> so then Perry Barazan ended up leading the drill because he was the one guy who knew how it worked properly. But uh, that, that's, a, that's a good Perry Barazan story for you. Dan, are there any former Shark players? I know the Oilers have a lot of alumni that stick around and come back and help the team and show up at practices and stuff. Who are some of the Shark alumni players over the years that still come down to the ring for practice and are kind of around the organization, but they're not with the organization, you know? Are there any players that come to mind? Well, uh, sure. I, I suppose Joe Thornton is not officially with the organization, although it's only a matter of time before some sort of capacity is, uh, shall we say, invented for him. But he's here quite a bit. Um, he just loves being around the rink. Uh, right now he's a little bit busy with the Spangler Cup, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, but he loves to be around the rink with the young guys, talking to them. Patrick Marlowe just got hired on, so I guess that doesn't fulfill what you're talking about. Yep. But Owen Nolan is here. Dan Boyle is here. Tom Peterson, a former Shark, who was there back in the 90s, uh, still around. And there are a number of other alumni that are making the area their home. And, of course, one of the, I guess you could say, uh, impediments to that over the years has been the cost of housing here because it is a rather expensive place to live when you're, when you're done. But given the contracts these guys are getting now, I, I suppose that they can probably make it work. And so we're starting to see a lot more players uh, make their home in the Bay Area because it's just a, a fantastic place to live. But speaking of former players, Eric Carlson, of course, was on the team last year. Lots of rumors about him coming to Edmonton. Did, how close was that? Do you have any insight on that? I don't know how close it actually got. It's awfully tough to trade a player of that nature within your division. And that brings to mind the, the Joe Thornton trade when uh, Mike O'Connell traded him to the Sharks. And, you know, the idea was if they were going to make a move like that, they probably wanted to send him to a place where they wouldn't see him all that often. And um, I don't know if that got into the calculus here, but uh, I suppose that they, they just waited for the, the best offer to come and they felt that they got that from Pittsburgh, rather generous. I mean, if you look at the team this year, in terms of the rebuild, they were able to retain only $1.5 million in salary. I don't know if that would have been possible with Edmonton. No, I don't think and so. They were, you know, so that, that wasn't going to work. And so uh, I think it just worked the best way. And what they ended up getting, they got Mikhail Granlund, as I said, a, a really strong season um, for this team and has is, is been a, a nice part of what is the early-term solution. Jan Ruda, I think, has been a good addition in that trade uh, in guiding young players like Nikita Okorchuk and Henry Trun. The guy's a two-time Stanley Cup champion, and so the value that he brings to young players like that who are developing, uh, at least in part at the NHL level, is huge. And, of course, they got, you know, they got a first-round draft pick out of the deal. So that, you know, that's actually a, uh, uh, the way that it had to work. And I think that that was probably the only way it could work. Otherwise, we might have even seen EK65 around here this year. Yeah, yeah, a great player. But yeah, just a, a tough contract to move. And I don't think the Oilers could have fit him in. I'm not sure what. And they don't really have the assets either. So not sure how it would have worked. But it was sure a strong rumor for a while, especially after that All-Star game where Carlson and Drysdale and McDavid were hanging out and being buddy-buddy. Yeah, well, that happens, right? Uh, you know, we, we see things occur away from the rink and we make a lot of assumptions, but... Bottom line is uh, Eric is a great hockey player. He was fantastic here in San Jose, and everybody appreciated that Norris Trophy year. And, uh, you know, they respect everything. But where the Sharks are as a team and trying to 
uh, build it back to where they belong and have been for so long, it makes uh, perfect sense that Eric would want to go to a place that was a little bit closer to being at the ultimate spot. But what a great season to call for you last year. Like, that would have been a lot of fun. He was on fire. No, it was incredible. I mean, you know, he did things every single game, and sometimes he did things single-handedly. And you know, a good example was at Madison Square Garden in New York. I remember that. The Sharks started the season 0-5 with the trip to Europe, and uh, Eric basically made two great plays in overtime and got the game winner at Madison Square Garden, which was an emotional win for David Quinn, his first as Sharks head coach against the team he used to coach in the NHL. And, uh, you know, that's just one example, but so many different things. And you look back at that season, he was at the top of the NHL in even strength scoring. Yeah. More than McDavid, more than McKinnon. And he didn't end up first, but he was right at the top. And that's just uh, one of the most amazing performances that I've seen in terms of a defenseman in, in providing offense at even strength. It was just incredible. Yeah, we're, we're going back to uh, assistant coach Paul Coffey days with uh, results like that. That was absolutely amazing. But thanks for joining us today. Have a good call tonight. And uh, we appreciate the time. Anytime. We'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Dan. That was Dan Rosanowski, the play-by-play voice of the San Jose Sharks. You're listening to The Lowdown with Low Tide, powered by Wolf GMC Buick. Marty Stevens filling in with Brad Slater. And we will be back. Man, I wish Low Tide was here. All those things he can do, but he's not. He's on vacation. A couple days off. Marty Stevens filling in with Brad Slater. We are going to go to our next guest right now. We're going to talk to a man out of Toronto, an Oiler fan. In Toronto, we're going to talk about this survey that came out by Jay Fresh Hockey over the Christmas break. It was a airing of grievances survey and which is the annoying fan base. So they had fans vote on this thing. They had over almost 4,000 people vote on this. Toronto came out heads and heels above everyone. So I thought I'd talk to our next guest. He's the senior VP of brand and content for Stingray Radio. Hey, Steve Jones, how are you doing? Great. Thank you for having me on. No problem. I don't know if it's a good idea for me to have the, the man who's in charge of content for Stingray to have on a radio show that I've first ever time doing. It might not be a good you idea for well, me. Well, I'm party to the to the whatever comes of it. I'm part <laughs> of it. So we're all in the boat together. We're all in the boat together. Excellent. Well, I know you're an Oiler fan. How did that start? How did you become an Oiler fan? I moved to Edmonton in 1998, and it was like the perfect time for a kid raised as a Habs fan to fall in love with the Oilers because they were this scrappy team that made the playoffs every year and then got their butts kicked by Dallas <laughs> or Colorado. You know, and then we'd win the odd series and the team was always in danger of leaving and the investors group stepped up and it just felt like it felt like something you could easily get behind and fall in love with. And then what really solidified it was the year that I moved away from Edmonton um, was 2006 and uh, the run to the finals. And I watched that from the new city I was living in and it kind of just you know, kept me in touch with where I was from and it felt like home and it was, it was everything. And I thought we were on top of the world. And then, you know, the decade happened. <laughs> and you're stuck. We sucked you in and then you're stuck. Yeah. It yeah. was very, very cruel. But it was. It's, uh, it's in your blood you, and it's, it's just impossible to lose it. Well, there you go. Now you're living in Toronto. I know you're surrounded by Leaf fans, of course, there. Uh, I just talked about this survey, the most annoying fan base vote. 37% was was the Leafs. They came in number one. The next closest was was uh, Ottawa at 10%, and the Oilers were third at 9%. So what's it like being an Oilers fan in Toronto? Well, putting aside the annoying, uh, obnoxious <laughs> Leaf fans, which that's a given, um, I'm going to be watching a game tonight that starts at 10.30. Yeah. And I'm normally going to bed at 10.30. And, and during the winter months, you know, 
I spend a lot of nights going to bed at one <laughs> or one thirty to stay up and watch a game. And that's a giant pain. I live for afternoon games when, uh, you know, we don't have a great record in the afternoon, but right. watching the team play at three or four o'clock is great. Um, but the fan base really makes being an Oilers fan here kind of special. It, it would make being a fan of any other team besides the Leafs feel special because Leaf fans are not only obnoxious, they also have no justification for their arrogance. <laughs> like I can understand, I can understand if you're a, you know, a, a Bruins fan and you've had one of the best teams in the league for years, or if you're a Habs fan and you've won more cups than anybody else or whatever team you might cheer for that has somehow earned you the right to be obnoxious. But Leaf fans have earned you know, none of it. They haven't had a whiff since 67. They've won one playoff series in like 20 years, and yet they walk around all the time <laughs> like they're the greatest franchise that God has ever given sports. You know, I saw a funny thing on Twitter the other day. They said the Leafs have never actually won three rounds in the playoffs because the year they won the sure. Cup, it was only two rounds. They've never won three rounds. Right, and and yet and yet they think that that we should all be cheering for the Leafs. They can't believe that you're living here, and somehow not a Leafs fan. And I, and believe me, I've tried. Like, um, they've had such a pathetic run that it's hard to hate them as a team because you know the Oilers don't. We don't worry about the Leafs. Right. We worry about the Western teams. So when I go to a game here, there's been you know a few times where I've tried to cheer for the Leafs, and I, I just can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> I, I I can't. And I'll risk whatever uh, mocking comes my way to cheer for whatever other team is playing, but I'm going to a game here. There you go. We can handle Scott Johns. There's no problem there. (laughs) It's a big Leaf fan that we both work with. Yeah, he works down the hall from me. He's a huge Leaf fan. He's got a split on some season tickets, and I usually try buy his... uh, Usually the Oilers come here in like February, March, and I try buy those tickets off him. I was using his seats... In January of 2019, when when McDavid undressed uh, oh, Morgan Riley, beautiful. I was I was sitting right behind the Leafs net, high fiving a few Leafs fans around me, and it was just one of the greatest moments of my life. And what's it? What's the McDavid factor in Toronto? Now, are they sure that Austin Matthews is better than McDavid, or they come down to the realization, or what's happening in that Deep front? Down inside, I think any Leaf fan knows that you know Austin Matthews is a great player, but he's not Connor McDavid. And deep down inside, they know that. But they're so drunk on their home team that they, you know, first of all, hilariously, they'll boast about how Connor McDavid really wants to play for his hometown team. Okay, well, then why doesn't Austin Matthews want to sign in Arizona? Like, you can't have it both ways. Um, They secretly want McDavid here more than anything else on earth. And yet they continue to believe that, you know, they'll, they'll make the case that Mitch Marner is a better player than, <laughs> than, than McDavid or Dreisaitl, which is, of course, ludicrous. But they're drunk. That's funny. We're joined by Steve Jones, Senior VP of Brands and Content for Stingray Radio. Brad, you have a question? Yeah, Steve, what's it like going to a Leaf game as an Oiler fan being in the visiting city? Like here in Edmonton, it's, it's not as hostile. You see the crazy stories with the NFL games and the fans in the States and stuff like that. Is there any hostility towards Oilers? a fan at Leaf game or is it is it all love I didn't get well no love but I didn't get any hostility I got lots of like mocking so no McMahon Uh, Stadium beer cans flying at your skull where you're trying to watch the game nothing like that I felt way more uh, at risk of of my life going to see an Oilers game in Boston (laughs) because Bruins fans are well of course people in Boston no matter what they're saying to you they sound like they're really angry (laughs) so 
It might have been part of it, but I felt way, way more at risk there. I went to a game, an Oilers game last year in Buffalo, and that was like going to a home game um, because Buffalo fans don't really go to the games. And then uh, here, it's it's a little bit. You find enough the pockets of other Oilers fans in the stands that you can usually you're within high fiving distance of someone who's got you know ninety seven or twenty nine or ninety nine. Or, or 18 on the back of their jersey. And, and that 18 is my favorite number to rub in Oilers fans' faces right now. Yeah, what are they thinking? I know they're very happy that we took Jack Campbell, but what are they thinking about Hyman? Yeah, up until, like, really this season, although last you could make a case it was happening then, too. But up until this season, we've been able to just, like, what's wrong with you guys? You couldn't sign Hyman? The guy's amazing. He's, a, he's just got such a gift, and he's such a hardworking guy and such a good human being. You can't believe you let him walk. And then they bring up Jack Campbell, and you're like, yeah, I guess you, you take the good with the bad, because I guess uh, a lot of those same things about being a good human being would apply to Jack Campbell, but there's $5 million we'll never see back. Exactly right. Now, part of this survey was also the fan bases hated by the other team. So who do you think the fan, the top three fan bases are that the Leafs hate? Do you have a guess? Um, I'm going to go with Ottawa. Yeah, that's number three. Okay. Uh <laughs> It's in Montreal. Montreal's number two, and the is team Edmonton that knocks them out of the playoffs all the time. Is Edmonton on that list? Edmonton is not on the list, no. It's okay. Boston uh, is the number one. Boston, yeah. yeah that makes Boston. sense with geography. Yeah. I don't know. As an Oilers fan, like I know I hate Calgary. And yeah, that's number one in Calgary. I think for me, two and three would also be Calgary. <laughs> you are an Oilers fan, but no. Number two is Vegas, which makes sense. And yeah. number three is the Leafs. So the Leafs made our, our, yeah. our top three. Yeah, I remember going to see games at you know at Rexall and uh, being surrounded by Leaf fans and just hating them. So I can I can get behind that. Uh, yeah, yeah. There you, you know, go. It's, it's it's a thrill to cheer for the team now. It's so much fun to cheer for the team now. Even even this year when we got off to such a terrible start, um, I think as soon as it became like so bad that it was beyond being angry about, <laughs> yeah. I just started to just just be happy with the idea that it'll be a dramatic, interesting season that will give me all kinds of things to think about and talk about and get behind. And uh, I think the worst thing is the kind of season where you just keep losing, you know, like a San Jose shark season where you're just out of it from the beginning. At least yeah. the Oilers are giving us a ride to go on. Yeah, they are for sure. And they've got a, quite a ride ahead of us. Hopefully that second half turns out to all the other fans, the way it normally does uh, the last I couple sure of years. Hope so can't wait to see them here in a few months. All right. Well, you get an afternoon nap. I won't tell anyone, shut your door, have an <laughs> afternoon nap and uh, we stay up for that game tonight. Thank you, Steve. You bet. Thanks guys. Have all right. Day. That was Steve Jones, senior VP of brand content for stingray. And you're listening to the low down with low tide with Marty Stevens and Brad Slater. All right, Marty Stevens in, filling in for Low Tide today with Brad Slater behind the board, filling in for Declan's, the backup to the back. We said we're from the East Coast League, I think. That's East Coast we, League. East Coast ringers. League fill-ins. We're ringers, though. Ringers. <laughs> yeah, ringers, all right. Ringers. Yeah, someone's going to ring us when this thing's over. But we are, our, our time's almost done. That two hours went fast. Yeah, we'll be back again tomorrow. Uh, John Bucci-Gross from ESPN is going to join us tomorrow. I always love the energy he brings with the... Uh, on the Pat McAfee show. So John's going to join us tomorrow night. I think he's calling the Oilers and Kings on ESPN on Saturday, but we'll double check. Either way, John loves hockey. And the other thing he loves is chicken parms. So we're going to talk to John about chicken parms and where he thinks the best one is here in Edmonton. 
And then earlier you mentioned it's the end of the year. It's the last episode of the Low Tide. Yeah. So we got to talk about the best sports stories of the year. We'll come up with a little bit of a list and go with that with everyone. We'll have some other exciting guests. But uh, thanks for hanging in us today with a couple rookies. And we'll be back tomorrow right here on the Lowdown with Low Tide. Thank you.